getting the stakeholders all on board is really key. If you hear news in a positive way from your manager, from your line manager, then you're going to take it on board in that way. So it's really important we start from the top and we have that kind of cascade. Hello and welcome back to Zap Chat, the podcast where we zap it and chat it. I'm Richard Mills and today we are joined by Marek Giabrowski from Matiski Brewery in Poland and he is joined by Sally Tidman. Both are leaders in the Asahi Group and this episode is all about Marek and Sally's journey to make a big change in a 300-year-old brewery. We talk about the amazing history of a company, how important it is for teams to feel empowered by change, why communication is key and how to measure success. So without further ado, let's jump in. Really excited this week to be joined by Sally Tidman and Marek Gierborowski. They are both currently at Asahi and have a really great background which we're going to get into. So to start off, I would love to learn a little bit more about you and what brought you to Asahi Beer. Uh, Marek, maybe you go first. Okay. So I work as brewery development manager in Tehe Brewery for eight years. Before that, I was process engineer, project manager, and technical department manager in the various manufacturing companies, but mostly assembly and automotive. And in every war role, I was responsible for simplifying the processes and searching for better ways of working for various teams. That's great. Thanks, Mark. And um, Sally, you've come at this from a very different kind of background. Can you share a little bit more about your background and the places that you've worked before as well? Sure. Yeah. Hi, I'm Sally and I have been working at Asahi for just over a year and a half now. It's gone by really quickly. And my role is within the change management team there. So I work like the regional level, Asahi AEI is made up of a fairly complex structure, but I'm at the regional level and we've got many fantastic brands that we, I'm sure your listeners will be aware of, such as Peroni and Grosch, Pilsner Ergol, obviously Tiki, producing Tiski beer and many others. Yeah. So I work at the regional level supporting different transformational projects. Previously, my kind of career has been based focusing on internal communications and I've worked in lots of different sectors and finally landed on beer, which is a great place to be. I definitely second that. And I had the pleasure of going to the Tihi plant a couple of months ago. And Marek, I know that's where you're based. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about what you were telling me about the history of the beer and the different ownership that's gone through? Because it's actually a really fascinating history. Okay. Uh, Tiki Brewery history is pretty long because it started in 1629, so it's almost 400 years old now. And during that time, of course, it undergone a lot of changes. Recently, by recently, I mean last 30 years, brewery underwent several changes of owners. So it was state-owned, then private-owned, then it was part of Submiller. And Submiller was the second brewing largest company in the world, uh, second after AB InBev. Then AB InBev decided to purchase Submiller, so we were part of AB InBev for a short time. But after that, AB InBev decided to sell parts of its business, and uh, we were acquired by Asahi Group, and it was five years ago. So we underwent a lot of, uh, let's say, organizational changes in last years. And also we underwent massive rebuild of infrastructure. So we have new equipment, new machines, but in old historical buildings. 
that mostly dates to 19th century. Such incredible old buildings. Um, yeah, really like kind of magical place to work. I'm sure maybe some of that shine has gone with you, Marek, after working for there for so long. But when you visit for the first time, it's yeah something really, really great. It's definitely something that struck me. And something you said there was really interesting. It used to be state-owned because, of course, this is in Poland, so it was part of the Eastern Bloc. Can you share a little bit about the change that it went through over the last kind of 30, 40 years, especially? Because that must be fascinating. But I know that you've got some people at the site who joined in sort of the early 70s. They've been here ever since. What is the change that they've gone through over the last 50 years? So for somebody who, of course not me, but for somebody who started to work here 40 years ago, so in 1970s, he underwent first the phase of the brewery that was owned by state in, let's say, socialist, communist times. After that, after 89, the brewery was purchased by the private owners. So a lot changed. But the biggest change was after purchase of Submiller because this was when the biggest investment was made. So brewery capacity grew from 1 million to 7 million of hectoliters of beer per year. We're one of the largest breweries in our group. And a lot of infrastructure was built. A lot of new people come, a lot of procedures, different ways of working were implemented. In around 2005, we implemented WCM, which is world-class manufacturing. This is a kind of continuous improvement lean manufacturing system. And it also introduced a lot of changes to the ways of working. And now we continue that journey with, with the Asahi group, with the Asahi Way program, which is also based on lean principles. It's amazing the amount of change that those people must have gone through. Sally, I know you're really passionate about internal comms and change management. What are the kind of things that you need to consider in your role when dealing with many, not just Tiki, but many different brands with equally proud histories? How do you then bring that under the same umbrella of Asahi and think about change management and that kind of organization? So I'm involved right with the large transformational projects. We are a small change management team, which is actually growing well because everybody needs some support and they're realizing the benefits of having a change manager on a project. Yeah, but it's really the key things that we look after are the people. They are the hugest asset that we have, obviously, at companies, but we need to really support them. There's, there's no point in having a change if we're not going to adopt it successfully. So the kind of three main key pillars that we look after are the communications, the training and the engagement on a project. And those together, we hope will then be successful adoption. And no project is the same. Nothing will be, you can have a project plan, a kind of idea of what you might want to go after, but really you can't jump straight to solution. You have to investigate what's going on. And Marek will know from working with me on this project that, you know, we have to do a lot of talking together in the start. Marek's been fantastic, as has Chiriaco in the Italian brewery, in really knowing the people on the shop floor, knowing those the operators and how they work, because that's really essential. We have to really dive into who they are and how they work now and then think about how they're going to operate in the future. What are those differences and how is that change going to impact them? Only then can we really jump to start to think about solutions. Um, so it's really, really important we have those really deep conversations about who's impacted. Yeah, Sally is right. We had a lot of conversations on who is impacted and how it can affect them. Of course, it's not only, let's say, position uh, related or the workplace related. It's uh, sometimes personal related. 
because some of the operators, uh, let's say, joined uh, our company one year ago. Some of the other operators work for 30 years. Yeah? So there's a big difference between the experience, uh, different ways of working, different approach to life sometimes in general. So we have to approach almost individual. That's right. To think about all those different categories. Absolutely. And do you tend to find that the stereotype being that you know, people who are newer in the job or younger in their career, they tend to be more open to change. Is that a stereotype that you found? Not always, because we sometimes find out that people who work for almost 40 years in the company underwent so many changes that this is just another change for them. And they accept it because they know that there are changes. They underwent so many big changes that implementation of new application is not a big change for them. That's really interesting. It is really interesting. I think another thing that we can also jump to the conclusion, especially when we're implementing technology, that maybe the older generations may not be as savvy with the technology. That's not always the case. Often it is, but we can always jump to those conclusions. So we just need to also be careful of that. Some people need more guidance just because they don't have a phone, for example. You know, we just need to think about um, how we position it always. And Sally, we've got the pleasure of working with Asahi at the moment on a, an implementation project. Are you able to share some of the learnings that you found around that? For instance, we were talking about the Peroni site launch. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looked like and how you went about planning for that? Yeah, so um, we have different approaches for the different markets. We have to always think about that. And so for Peroni, they're also launching at the same time as in Tiki, but they were keen to do a bit more of a, a big bang, a bit of a launch for when they went live. They've got you know a number of operators on the floor and three different shifts, so it's a bit of a challenge sometimes to manage how are you going to facilitate that. But what we decided to do was you know get everybody some coffee and some croissants and have those kind of available for all three shifts, and um, some other fun things like a little bit of a quiz to recap on the knowledge that they'd learnt in their training, and also to try and capture some feedback directly from the operators. Now we asked them kind of verbally in the training after the training they thought how they were feeling but nothing was kind of captured written down so this was an opportunity to gather that feedback but also a bit of fun as well we um made sure we had like a, a frame that you may see that people often have for instagram at parties that they take photos with it we did something similar within the brewery as well so yeah lots of different things and some videos and stuff going on as well so it really helped to tie people to the project really show the importance of it and also you know that it's a project that's come from regional level, it's a big transformational project, and they're really pivotal in this. That they, you know, use the tool, give their feedback as a pilot. We need to make sure it's successful because, based on how they think and feel, it will potentially scale to the different markets. So, yeah, really just trying to show them how important they are in this process. And Marek, at the same time, we were also launching in Poland. Did you take a different approach than with Peroni? And what was common and, and what did you need to change? We launched at the same time in Rome and Tehe. So we piloted the new solution because we wanted to test it within two environments. Uh, our breweries are not very standardized because there were different owners before. And some of the systems are different, especially it's in case of infrastructure, uh, and uh, other IT system, but with that also came a different way of working. 
because uh, if the other brewer was using different IT systems, the way of working was a little different because it was adjusted to that system. So we had to take this into account and we wanted to test how the new solution behaves in different environments. But at the end, we find out the common standards for most of processes. And we were able to standardize a lot of things that were not standardized before. So looking forward, it was a good change. Thanks, Malik. And Sally, with your experience at not just manufacturing, but a whole range of different industries, what are the commonalities that you've seen with change management? And for the listeners, what would you say are the key considerations when making any kind of big change in their organization? Well, um, for full disclosure, this has been my first change management role. So um, previously, like I said, working in internal communications. So really, this has been my first step into change management, and it's been really great to do so, especially partly with Marek. But my learnings from that journey are that you can't really skimp on the, the big things. You've really got to invest the time in talking to people. There's different deliverables that everybody has to meet on a project for sure. And there's different templates that you need to fill in, but the really key things are the conversations, making sure that you've got the right people, the right stakeholders in a room to talk about what's happening. And whether that's, you know, thinking about your stakeholders and the impact, whether it's looking at the change in the impact, because those few things really help you and are really important and vital towards creating your change management plan. And no way could you start to jump straight to how you're going to manage the change without having those conversations. So they're really, really critical parts of the process. And, you know, obviously doing all the fun engagement part may seem a bit over the top to some people, but it's really made a difference. You know, people feel like they're connected to the project. And it's, I think it's critical too to go into, you know, when you launch something new, that you have a positive mindset. And that's what we're always striving for, that we create that kind of positive vibe amongst the operators, amongst the end users, so they feel like ready and they've been brought along on the change. It's not just something that's happening to them. Great. Thanks, Sally. And what for you, what's the difference between communication and change management? Because you, I perhaps naively would group them into the same category, but what's different between the two and what are the commonalities that you can share? Sure. So like I maybe mentioned before, change management's made up of those kind of three key pillars, the communications, engagement, and training. Whereas I guess it's, it was an easy transition for me being kind of in internal communications before and sometimes focusing on engagement that really I was just adding the training part into it. It's something also I've done before in my past, so it's not a huge leap. When I say training, I'm not facilitating it. I'm more supporting, making sure it's been organized and making sure you know everybody's ready for it. So that's really, it wasn't a huge leap for me. With regard to internal communications, it really lends into change management to make sure that everybody knows what they're doing, is supported, has the right information when they need it. So they are quite similar in that way for me. And so, yeah, it's not been a huge leap between them. Marek, we've been talking a lot about change management around systems, but this could equally be around work processes. I know that Tihi, especially with the different owners it's had, has gone through uh, a variety of different world-class manufacturing programs. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about uh, the change between uh, different organizations and how that's changed work process for the front line. Okay, so up to Submiller acquisition, we didn't uh, have a specialized manufacturing, let's say, system. And uh, after this acquisition, 
uh, we started to implement WCM, which is world-class manufacturing. Then it was renamed to Submiller Way, but it was mostly the same. And then after acquisition of, from Asahi, we started to implement the Asahi Way. But the good thing with all of these systems is that uh, those systems are based on the same concept because it all comes back to the Henry Ford who implemented the modern assembly line in his factories in 1930s and then to Toyota production system. So the first real complex lean system in manufacturing. After that, many companies started to use those kind of systems. For example, uh, Fiat uses also world-class manufacturing. Sabiller has world-class manufacturing. Caterpillar has Caterpillar production system, but it is all based on the same lean concepts. So the concept to eliminate waste and to add value added into the process. And they also use similar tools. So in every kind of manufacturing company, you can find 5S system, problem solving and those kinds of different tools. Of course, in the details, they can be different, but uh, in the principles, they're pretty similar. So in terms of manufacturing systems, it's rather easy to go from one system to another, just to adjust some tools and specific examples. That's a lot of change, Malik. Uh, Sally, we've been talking a lot about change management communication this is definitely your wheelhouse, and for, for people listening, this might be really interesting. Could you walk us through what is your framework and outline of how to really manage change, such as Malek just mentioned? Yeah, sure. I mean, we follow a certain methodology, the 4D methodology at Asahi. So we have a certain ways of working that we have to follow various deliverables through the stage gates. I mentioned a few of the bits before, I guess, but we have the deliverables that we have to do. And then there's also additional kind of things that we add in to just to support projects, an extra flourish, if you like, to make sure everybody is um, feeling well, well connected. Uh, no pun intended with our connected backup platform projects that we're doing. <laughs> um, so yeah, like the, the key one at the start is to do your stakeholder mapping. So we're really, the first key thing to do is kind of get some uh, post-it notes and get your group of stakeholders that you have in the room to write down everybody that they think might be impacted on the project. So like it's really thinking about all those kind of edge cases too, like, oh, okay, so HR aren't directly impacted, but we probably need to let them know, for example, because people are involved in this. And what if there is a problem or what if we do need support from them? So all that kind of really good detail is a really nice session actually, because it really gets people's brains thinking, you know, like who and why and what. And then we try and put them into a kind of categories of the level of impact. And from there, that really helps you build out your stakeholder mapping document so you can kind of formulate it into an Excel template. But like I said before, this is really about the conversations with the people and, and really getting to know the operators through somebody else in this example. Then we can move on after that to like um, another key thing is branding up the project. I think it might seem like a really small thing, but to get a, a name that everyone's agreed on, have a bit of a brand for it so you know when you communicate, you're feeling connected. You can use that on everything that you do. So, yeah, that's sort of the kind of extra piece there. Another next one really then, as we move along the stage gates, is to do your change impact assessment, which we talked a bit about before. So you know who your stakeholders are. But then in line with the process mapping that we did, it was really useful to be kind of a fly on the wall for those sessions when the processes were being mapped out to kind of find those 
places where everybody was uh, aligned, but it was really good to hear the conversations. It meant we didn't have to spend quite so much time in duplicating effort because I knew the processes then in those sessions and I knew then what the future state would look like. And then we could just talk about the current state. And then obviously then you can see the differences and therefore the change that people are going to have. So then you have your people, you have the change. And then the next thing really is then to work up the plan. So how are we going to you know, support these people in this adoption? So there's you know lots of different things that you often will do on projects, but the communication piece is massive. Who needs to be communicated to and when and who's going to do it? So another huge piece is really engaging with the senior stakeholders. So who's the project sponsors? How are we going to utilise them in the project? Are they on board? Do they understand what change management is? Can we pull on them, not just for communications, but also if there was a bump in the road and we needed somebody else to sound something out with, even if an operator was really uncomfortable with something for some reason, it's not happened to us so far. I can't foresee it happening on this project, but it does happen sometimes in other projects where you need support from the senior sponsors to, you know, talk to the operators or the end users just to make sure that they're feeling calm. So yeah, getting the um, the stakeholders all on board is, is really key too. We know that I think pretty common knowledge if you hear good news or news in a positive way from your manager, from your line manager, if it comes across positively from them, then you're going to take it on board in that way. So it's really important we start from the top and we have that kind of cascade because when you've got them on board, it helps go from the bottom too. So yeah, they're the kind of really key things. Communication change support. That's great, Sally. And once you've done this, how do you measure success of a project? So we certainly will be measuring the success in a, a few different ways. We have formulated like a success criteria, which looks at a few different elements, including like the user adoption. And Marek has helped create the survey, which is being shared with the operators on the floor. We ask them to complete it on a weekly basis at the minute, just to gauge how they are feeling about it. Marek, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit yourself. Yes, we constructed a survey in which we have 12 questions and operators uh, answer according to the standard survey scale. It's from strongly disagree to strongly agree. And based on that, we measure how do they feel with the application. We also collect the feedback in form of comments. And then we, it's very important to take those comments, state these results of the survey and to formulate an action plan and to come back to every person who raised uh, issues in the topic. So when we push a next round of the survey, we know that uh, those topics were addressed or we have some plan for that. So it's very important not only to collect the surveys, but to make actions for the specific uh, points raised. And we find out that this is a very good way both of measuring how the application is uh, received by the by the team but second is a kind of improvement tool so we can implement uh, fixes or new features for the points that they raised there's other ways as well that we're looking at tracking the success so we've also got some adoption kpis where that's more of a kind of hard look at the system to see where we see people are using the tools so is everybody signed up for it what kind of uh, reports are they completing are they kind of meeting what our expectations are? So more of a look at the system. Alongside that, there's also the measures of, is the system responding on time? Is our Wi-Fi working correctly? Those kind of things too. So all the operational things. So we've got quite a few measures that we're 
we're looking at on a, a weekly basis of reporting on those for now. And that'll surely go down to a, a, a less a frequent cadence in the future. But for now, as we're in the hypercare stage at the minute, we are watching that like a hawk. So yeah, it's really important and really interesting to see how well it's going. And most of the figures are all green at the minute, which is fantastic after the first week. That's great. As long as things go up and to the right, that's, that's the main thing, right? Uh, I imagine every project's different, um, but at the moment you're implementing a new solution, you're implementing Zaptic on the factory floor. What, is, what do you say is the number one metric that you're looking at at the moment in that project? For now, in the pilot phase, it's a survey. If the people want to use the application, they'll use it. And we can already see, for example, in the defect handling workflow, in which they can raise tags or defects. This is uh, very highly scored by people. Comparing to the previous ways that they use, it's fast, effective. Uh, they can uh, put easily the tag or defect into the system. And uh, people just want to use that. And we can see it on the survey. So we know this is the good direction. This is perfect. You know, the, one of the next things we'll be doing in the change management is the sustainment plan to make sure that we don't go back to our previous ways of working. So it's so fantastic to see that people are adopting the change and they want to use the tool. So hopefully it'll make our job a lot easier as we come towards the end of the project and think about how we pass it back to the business as the project team step away. I love that. And I'm so glad that today we were able to talk about uh, your experience with change management because that's something that we've seen as being very strong at Asahi and the project that we're doing with you. Uh, so people who are listening who maybe want to learn more, can you recommend any resources or places that they can go to learn more about how to achieve success when making change? Um, probably my key call out for any change manager would be to have a look at the ProSci website. There's so many great tools and resources and like webinars you can join for free. Um, so yeah, I'd definitely check that out. That's great. We'll definitely put a link in the description. Well, Thank you so much for both of you joining us today. Marek, Sally, it's been a fantastic discussion. Um, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Sally. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure. What a great episode with some awesome insight. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you join us again soon.